ask that we would take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. I ask that you would follow along as read our sermon text here this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Eternal Father, you are good beyond all thought, but we are vile, wretched, miserable, and blind. Our lips should be ready to confess, and yet often our hearts are slow to feel, and our ways are reluctant to amend. We bring our souls to you. Break us. Wound us, bend us, mold us, unmask to us sin's deformity in us that we may hate it and abhor it and flee from it. Our faculties have been weapons of revolt and revolution against you. As a rebel, as rebels, we have misused our strength to serve the foul adversaries of your kingdom. So give us grace to sorrow, to mourn our incessant folly. Grant us to know the ways of the transgressor is hard, that evil paths are wretched paths, that to depart from you is to lose all good lose all hope, to lose all joy. We have seen the purity and beauty of your perfect law, the happiness of those who allow it to reign in their hearts, to allow your rule to flourish, to submit to your ways, the calm dignity of walking in the way in which you call us, yet we daily violate and contempt your reign and rule, your ways, your will, your word, and your loving spirit strives within us. 
bringing us to Scripture, bringing us to its warnings and its promises, speaking the startling providences that lie within it that you have blessed us with, this wonderfully revealed word to us, alluring us with your glorious truths. Yet we often choose devices and desires to our own hurt, impetuously resenting what you have provided to us, grieving and provoking the spirit within us, reckless abandon. So I pray all these sins we would mourn and lament and for them cry for pardon. And we would come to you, the only one who can work in us a more profound and abiding repentance. Give us the fullness of a godly grief that trembles and fears and yet ever trusts and loves, which is ever powerful and ever confident because its sole object is you. And grant that through our repentance, we might see more clearly the brightness and glories of the saving cross of Jesus Christ. As we see our sin, and as we see our Savior, we might desperately run and embrace Him. Today, as Paul calls us here in your word, to always continue to live in obedience, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. May we understand our responsibility and yet never move away from the fact that it is you that works in us both to will and to work of your good pleasure. And so our hope ultimately and always rests in Sin's depth has already been plumbed by our Savior. Victory over sin has already been won by our glorious King Jesus. I pray today that we would look to you and find in you our joy and our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's uh, sermon comes from our text here, Psalm 2, 12 through 18, moving along in our study here in Philippians, living as members of gospel community. And today's uh, title is The Joy of Members Serving Together. The Joy of Members Serving Together. And we're going to continue to go to build on this theme of us serving together. And really, we can see, as, as I read the text this morning, we can see how this is a continuation of the theme when the verse 12, the first verse in our section starts with, therefore, right? Therefore. So we're continuing, continuing with the same idea, this idea of having the same mind that was in Christ that we've been looking at uh, the last couple weeks the same mind in Christ Jesus, we are meant to have this mind that seeks to live in obedience to God in service to one another, alongside of one another. Ultimately, flowing out of um, uh, the kind of theme verse, and I think the central verse of uh, Philippians, 
Verse 27 of chapter 1, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And ultimately, that's what we're, that's what we're seeking to do. We're seeking to be members of gospel community that live lives in this relationship with God and with one another that is worthy of the very gospel that has saved us. How do we do that? By having the same mind as Christ. And having the same mind as Christ has, we will live in the same way Christ, has, Christ does. And as we look into our text today, we will find joy in the same place Christ finds joy. We'll pursue it in the same place that He pursues it. And so this morning, our main point is this. All members, and again, we're talking about members of, of God's family, of the invisible church, not just members of a local church, although I think you should be a member of the local church. If, if you have been saved and you're part of God's people, you should be part of that visible representation of a local church. When we use members here, we're speaking more broadly than that, though. Um, we're speaking of all God's people um, in, in every one of His churches that have put their faith in Him. So all members of this gospel community that all God's people are a part of should pursue the joy found in God through serving together. So this text, I hope, will help us to see where we can find this joy and how Christ uh, found joy in God as He sought to live in obedience to Him and in turn help us to see where that joy belongs. But then notice, it's through serving together. We don't want to, we don't want to completely un unlink this section from the context in which it is found in. And ultimately, the call is to serve together here as the mind of Christ. But in doing so, there's this joy that we're meant to experience. And so I want us to draw our attention to that here in the text today. And in fact, we can see that, that Paul had addressed it um, earlier in our chapter when he gave us one of, the, one of the reasons why we're meant to pursue the same mind, in verse 2, he says that part of, part of the reason why you pursue the same mind is to do what? Is to complete my joy. His desire to see his own joy completed. And we can see how, how he is seeking to have us understand that when we read in, in 16 that that on the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if I'm giving of myself so that you might know Christ and you might grow in Christ. What does he say? If that's what I have to do, I'm going to do it, and I will be glad and I will rejoice with you all because you complete my joy found through serving together, but ultimately that service together brings us back to this, to who God is and what He has done in us and doing in us. And so we're going to ask three questions today of our text to help us understand this idea of joy being found in God and being pursued through serving together. First, what brings joy to the Christian life? The second question, why does God's work in you bring Him joy? And then the third question, how do you pursue God's joy and our joy or your joy? How do you pursue God's joy and your joy? All right. So first question here, what brings joy to the Christian life? What brings joy to the Christian life? 
Well, the Christian's joy, the answer here, is found in God's joy at work in us. Christian's joy is found in God's joy at work in us. So we see here that God's work being done in us when we read in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, we come to this text, and there's definitely these challenges for us. There's, there's these um, imperative verbs that are commanding us to do things. And these verbs are important and, and necessary for us to understand. And we need to embrace them. Um, the fact that the, the imperative verb of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is definitely something both Paul and God, as he is inspiring Paul to write this, calls us to do. It's a responsibility that we have to do. It's a work that we are meant to do. Not only is work out your own salvation with fearing trembling an imperative, but do all things in verse 14 is an imperative as well. It's a command to us. We're to do everything that he is calling us to do here, having the same mind as Christ had, giving of ourselves, sacrificially serving one another without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent and that you, you know, may not be falling prey to this crooked and twisted generation, but you stand against it. And you stand as light shining in a world that is um, against God and His ways. That as you give of yourself in such a way that doesn't grumble and complain, you demonstrate a completely different way of living than would be natural to you. And then we see that likewise you should be glad and rejoice with me is also a command given to us. And these commands are significant. But sometimes we can get so locked into the commands that we don't see all the rest of what's going on around this section here. And what verse 13 does, it begins to put these imperatives in it their proper places. That ultimately you are able to do what you are able to do as a member of gospel community because God is doing something in you. It's God who is at work. Why is this significant? Why is this important to affirm that it's God at work in us? Because there's some dangers that could occur if we do not understand this. One is we could try to do what God is calling us to do here in our own strength. The fact is, apart from God's work in uniting us to Christ, there would be no possible way for us ever to arrive at having the same mind as Christ. There's no possible way. In our sinfulness, we think utterly different from Christ. And so for us to have tried to do this on our own is completely impossible. We cannot do it. We do not have the ability. It's like, you know, taking, uh, taking uh, someone in here to the tallest building in Joliet. I don't know which one that is. I didn't look it up. I should have. And saying, all right, jump off it and fly. Right? And they're looking at me like, are you, are you crazy? I can't fly. Well, just have the same mind as a bird, okay? Just do that. Have the same mind as a bird, jump out, and you'll be fine, right? Is that how it works? No, of course not. 
What would happen? They jump off, and they might think they're flying for a few seconds. <laughs> but really, they're not. They're just falling drastically to the ground. And splat! That, that would be the end of it. And that's, that's like us trying to live this all out on our own. We cannot have the mind of Christ if we do not have the ability to have the mind of Christ. And so what do we have? We have God working in you so that you can. But in turn, uh, maybe, the, maybe the, uh, another danger that we are confronted with is that you know, God is working in us and we're seeing all this good that is coming out of us and, and coming from us. And we get like King Hezekiah syndrome. We're going to think, look at all that I have done. Let me show everyone all the things that I have done. Look at how I have worked out my salvation with fear and trembling. In turn, we begin to take pride in a work that is not our own. That we ultimately in and of ourselves could never do. Leads us back to the very things that Paul earlier in this text has commanded us to avoid. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself and let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others, ultimately realizing that this is only possible in you because God is at work. And then we read that God has done this not because we were somehow worth investing in. You know, we, we were a, a, a great company on the stock market. God said, you know what, I think, I think they're going to shoot up in the stock. So I'm going to put all my money into him. Like, I'm the worst investment ever, okay? I'm like, if, if, you don't, if you don't continue... If you don't continue to pour money into me, God, I am destitute, okay? I mean, and that's not a good investment to have to continue to funnel money into me. But that's, that's what I continually am desperately in need of him at work in me. Why would he do that? We have this, both to will and to work for his good his pleasure or another way to say it it's his joy it's for his joy that he works in us it's for his joy that he produces this new reality in us new creations created in christ jesus for good works it is his joy that ultimately produces this and that's why the christian's joy is found in, in god's joy at work in us and this is what we see from paul what does he mean when he says complete my joy work out your salvation have the same mind as god is working in you align yourself with god's work in you and seek to live a life that is worthy of this gospel that has saved you this empowerment that has been given to you by god and if you do that you complete my joy because why because i'm seeing god's joy at work in you i mean what what is he saying in, in verse 16 
on the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Because they had chosen to work out their salvation and do all things in the way that God had called them to do and God had enabled them to do in Christ so that His sacrifices on their behalf, His living with the same mind of Christ, it allowed Him to live humbly for their concerns and not His own as He is imprisoned. Because the preaching of the Gospel that has saved these Philippians. And his sacrifice, giving himself not just to his own interests, but to their interests so that they might know the gospel and grow in the gospel. And he says, I, I do all that. Why? So that, you, so that you might hold fast to the word of life. So that you might live blameless and innocent lives and in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So that you might work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that you might have the same mind that's in Christ. So that you might be living worthy of the gospel. And, 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 and when I see that in you, when I see that in you, my labor is not in vain, my running is not in vain, and therefore what? It produces joy in me. The Christian's joy is found here in this text in God's joy being worked out in each of us. As Paul looks at the Philippians and says, I see, I see God working in you. And he's doing it for his, ple- for his pleasure. And when I see it, I am glad and I rejoice. That's where this verse 17, I am glad and rejoice in all of you comes from. It's not just because I have warm fuzzies when I think of you, or I have fond of memories Remember that time when we shared a pizza and we shared some jokes and we watched a game or whatever? No, that's not where this is coming from. He's this deep-rooted gladness and rejoicing that comes out of a guy sitting in a prison cell comes because he sees God at work in these people. And our joy is meant to come from that as well as we see God at work in one another's lives. This is why we should, we should be pulled into this service together. So that what? So that we might see God at work in one another's lives. How are we going to see it? How did Paul see it? By running this race next to the believers at Philippi. Next to believers in all his churches. Next to Timothy and um, others that he traveled with, Luke. Seeing them, seeing their lives, has allowed him to experience the joy of God at work. But why does God work in you to bring himself joy? Second question. Why does God work in you to bring him joy? Why does God's work, I, I read that wrong. Why does God's work in you bring him joy? And the answer is God's joy is found in himself. And his work in you as a reflection of himself. God's joy is found in himself and his work in you as a reflection of himself. See, what God is joyous about in this all being worked out in you is not necessarily you, but he's seeing himself reflected in you. I mean, that's the fact, that's the fact of why 
we go through everything that we go through, and Paul's able to write in Romans that all that we experience is good because it conforms us to the image of His Son. God's desire is to conform us to the image of the Son, which makes sense with our text, because what is our text calling us to? To have the what? The same mind as who? Christ. Conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. And let me tell you something. God the Father loves the image of Christ. You know, when Christ took on humanity and came in human form, as we looked at last week, and humbled himself and became obedient, it is the Father's voice that echoes down from heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, in whom I take pleasure, in whom I find my joy. And why? Why does he find his joy in Christ? Because Christ is the image. The exact imprint, Paul writes in Colossians, of God. He is the Word of God that was with God and is God. He is the one who Paul describes here in our chapter was in the form of God and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, God's joy is truly found in Himself. And in His work in us as it reflects Himself. Psalm 104.31 declares, May the glory of the Lord endure forever and may the Lord rejoice or find joy in His works. May the reflection of Him. They bring glory to Him and ultimately He He finds joy in himself. And we are joyous to him as we reflect his very characters, his very mind in the way that we live. Which leads us to the third question. How do you pursue God's joy and our joy then? So if God... God, our, our joy is found in God's joy at work in us, and God's joy is found in Himself, and our reflection of God um, at work in us, His Himself being in us. How do we then pursue God's joy and our joy? Well, that's where we get to the imperatives finally, right? We've got to start at other truths to arrive rightly at the imperatives. The imperatives are calling us to pursue God's joy and our joy. Now, if we pursue God's joy, what are we ultimately pursuing? We're not just pursuing the gifts. Because God's joy isn't just found in His gifts and in His workings, but is ultimately found in Himself. So if we ultimately are pursuing God's joy, we're ultimately in pursuit of God. So we seek to live in such a way that enables us to have a right communion, a right relationship with our Father, to be able to experience this closeness and this intimacy with Him. And that's where we come to this having the same mind as Christ that works itself out in obedience to God and service to others 
And so how do we pursue this through God's joy and our joy? You are to pursue joy by having the same mind as Christ. It works itself out in serving together. Ultimately, as this overflow of obedience to God, as we looked at, as Paul writes here, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and that obedience is meant to be linked back to the fact that Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father even unto death. So now, therefore, as his followers, as the people who have been saved by Christ Jesus have been united with him in his death and in his resurrection, as you have always obeyed, having known that and now seeking to live that out so much more now, whether it was my presence or my absence, because ultimately it doesn't matter whether Paul's there or not, because it's really not a service to Paul. It's ultimately a service to God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What are we ultimately saved to? Surely we are saved from sin, but why is sin so significant? Because it separates us from God, from the one who is joy, (laughs) from that which we are meant to pursue and that which we are meant to live for. And so in understanding our own salvation, we understand that we are saved from sin, but ultimately sin is only an issue because it separates us from God, and God is the thing that we need most and we value most. We see that because God himself finds his joy in himself. Like he's the greatest joy then to be found. If that is where God, the most amazing being, finds his joy, that's where we're meant to find our joy as well. So we're meant to pursue it. So we're meant to work out our own salvation and see ourselves as being saved from sin, but saved to what? To God. That ultimately the center of our salvation is that we are reunited with God. And so what's the point of all this working is so that we can continue to have this fellowship and relationship with God that is clearly been given to us and granted to us by Him that saves us out of our sin and into a relationship with Him. So that we're not people who are saved and said, oh, I got all that taken care of. I can go my way and do my own thing. No, we're saved in order to continue to live in relationship with God as His people, as His children, as His building, as His body, as His workmanship. That's what we're actually saved to. And we need to remember that. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What is ultimately the fear and trembling in regards to? Well, the context doesn't doesn't say anything about wrath or about punishment for sin. Have you noticed that? What is this fear and trembling about? I believe it's that we would not live up to the same mind as Christ and live worthy of the gospel. That this is a passage that's not pointing us away from the sin and the punishment for sin, but rather pointing us to this glorious relationship with Jesus Christ that we're meant to experience. And that if we're not careful, how we live as Christians. Being saved into the same mind, being enabled to live in a certain way, we might be tempted to go back to our old masters and live that way. And the point is not necessarily that God would be disappointed in us. As a father, he will. That's true in other texts, but that's not what this text is. But that we would miss out 
on living worthy of the gospel and completing the joy of Paul. But then, as we understand it, Paul being just another member of gospel community means if we don't live this out, we will fail to complete our own joy as well and the joy of others. So we're to pursue this joy by then having this same mind. And what does that look like? Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is the mind of Christ. Eternity past. As the God had determined the salvation of God's people. Christ was appointed the Lamb of God slain before foundation of the world he did not do so grumbling and disputing with the Godhead as Christ takes on human flesh becomes a man so humbled that he's born as a baby we see he does not grumble or complain in fact The next time we read about him after his birth, he's old enough to talk, and what does he say? He is in the temple about his father's business. That doesn't sound like someone who's grumbling or just, man, why did God the Father have to send me down here to have to do this? Why couldn't he have come and done it? No, that's not what we see. And throughout his entire life, what do we see? All the humiliation that he endures all the rejection that he endures, all the suffering that he endures, physical and mental and emotional. Because he does so, obeying the will of the Father so that God the Father might receive glory, so that in his sacrifice he might exalt the Son, so that the Son might receive glory. Through that all the Spirit would be sent. And as the Spirit works within His people, the Spirit would receive glory so that God would receive the glory that is not one who grumbles or disputes. In fact, in, the, in, the, in, in what would seem to be the most, uh, the deepest anguish of Jesus' soul as a human being, as he pours it out there in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he ultimately say? Not my will, but yours be done. Doing all things without grumbling or disputing is having the mind of Christ. Yet, we have to understand that when we do, when it says do all things, it is within this context. It is within the context of living in humility, placing the concerns of others above, themself, above yourself. It's not only looking to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others. It's being obedient to God to the point of death. Do all things worthy of the gospel, and when you do them, Do not grumble and do not dispute. Do not complain. And in doing so, you may demonstrate to a watching world, a crooked and twisted generation, that you are blameless and innocent, children with God without blemish. Why? 
because God is the one working in you, the holy God, the set-apart God, the sinless God. He is at work in with you, at work in you, conforming you to the image of Christ. So that we might shine as lights in this world. As we serve together, serving one another, we are meant to shine what it is to be one of God's people, what it is to be Christian. Holding fast to the word of life. Do all things with the mind of Christ. That is how we pursue true joy in this life. How can we connect it to everyday life? Well, are you a member of gospel community? You can't you can't live for true joy. You can't even experience true joy apart from being one of God's people. And so God's call is for you to turn away from your sin and your own pursuits of joy apart from Him. Sinful, rebellious pursuits and turn and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today, if you're watching today, this is the call for you. If you're, if you're not a believer, if you're not one of the followers of Jesus Christ, if you have not turned from your sins and from your own ways and from trusting your own works, you have not turned from them to Christ. Turn today. If you'd like to talk to us, we'd love to talk to you. You can contact us. If you're watching online, uh, there's contact information at the end of the video. We'd love, we'd love to have you uh, contact us. We'd love to talk to you. Second thing is, what can we know about God? Second question, what can we know about God that will help us connect this to everyday life? Well, God is joyous. That is amazingly good. He is the source of joy. He knows joy and what it is, and he can therefore give joy. And ultimately, what we see in Scripture is he is meant to be joy for us. And what this Scripture tells us is what we, there's a means by which we can pursue it. There's a means by which we can gain this. We can know that God has given us this joy in Him through the revelation and through Christ and, and through His work in us. We can see this joy. We can experience this joy. We can know this joy. This joy is found in Him and His, in, in His work and who he is revealed in Scripture. It's found in the work that he's doing in our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can see and experience. This is something we can know about God. God is joyous. How can we enjoy God? We can enjoy the person of God. That God is the most amazing being in the universe. Pure joy is found in him. In fact, he presents us with no greater joy than himself. And then he presents us with himself. And we could wonder what it would be like if the best of things could be wrapped up into one thing. I don't know if you think about like that Sound of Music song. It's like, these are some of my favorite things. And, and what if you could take all of those favorite things and wrap them up into one thing? You'd be like, if I got that, I'd have all my favorite things. But ultimately, we don't have to wonder about that. We don't always get it right, choosing what the, what the best things are, but we don't really have to wonder about what it would be like to have the best things wrapped up into one thing because that 
already exist. He is God. He is the best of everything. That's joy. We can enjoy the work of God as well. God is the greatest treasure, the greatest joy. And then in his, through his work of revelation, through his work of even humiliation, as Christ comes, takes on the form of man, he presents us, offers us with himself. He gives us the greatest treasure. I mean, have you ever, have you ever done a treasure hunt? Right? I loved treasure hunts as a kid, and I would always plan all these treasure hunts. And I'd try to convince my siblings to go on Um, they weren't too convinced about it because they knew I really didn't have anything that they would ever want. So, you know, so the treasure at the end wasn't that great of a motivator, right? But this, this is the gloriously great, greatest treasure imaginable, and he gives it to us. How amazing is that? That in his working... He would present us with his greatest treasure. I mean, what about his gifts? The God of all joy deposits bits of his joy in all of us to experience. If you see one another serving, you are able to experience joy in God through them. And then in turn, realize this. As you live worthy of the gospel, the same mind of Christ your brothers and sisters are be able to experience the joy of God through you. That's, why would God do that? And yet he does. I mean, that's so amazing that, that the way I seek to live my life in pursuing God has the ability to communicate, channel the joy of God to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That like Paul, we can say, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, and likewise you should be glad and rejoice with me. There's this joy that we should experience in one another as we see God at work in one another. And a fourth question, how can we glorify God? And really, there's, there's some categories that we could, we could place in this. I mean, it's obviously a, a do idea. We glorify God by what we do, and so the call here is very, very up front, it's serve together. Give of yourself in service to one another and with one another. But there's also a call to be. What is it? To be this reflection of Christ-like character, of Christ-like disposition, of Christ-like thinking. To have the mind of Christ within us. That this kind of disposition is meant to be on display and we glorify God when we display it. We also glorify God in what we pursue. We're meant to serve together in the different places God puts us in. So why do you go to church? And what is your home all about? And what what is your work? Why are you going there? Is it just to make money? Are Are you missing the opportunity to live for God's glory, specifically as you demonstrate the mind of Christ in your work, in your home, in your church, in your school, places where you play or entertained, in your neighborhood, in your community? There's an opportunity to live out this goal that Paul gives to us in these various places of our lives. And what, in one sense, you know, I'm asking, what is your purpose in being there? I 
And then how do we glorify God? Well, we can also see life rightly. I mean, we can do things, we can be things, we can live for a specific purpose in different areas of life, but we also can see life rightly. And we need to recognize, you know, as, as I prayed this morning before the sermon, it was very much a confessional prayer. And maybe that's what's needed. Because are you trading lesser joys? Are you trading true joy for lesser joys or counterfeit joys in this life? Is that how you've lived? Less than worthy of the gospel, less than the mind of Christ, less than the, 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 the working out of your salvation and doing all things without grumbling and complaining and living blamelessly and shining as lights and holding fast to the word. Have you, have you been less than, than what God is calling you to in those areas because, because you're pursuing lesser joys or counterfeit joys that this world and Satan and your own flesh have been calling you to? Are you not seeing rightly? We glorify God by seeing the world truly as it is. And truly it presents us with all sorts of joys. We know, members of gospel community who have experienced the work of Jesus Christ, who have been united with Him, who are creatures created in Christ Jesus for good works with this new disposition that has been brought about in us through His working, we know that there is only truly one joy that matters, that makes a difference, that all other joys spring from. And we are meant to pursue Him. God knows how to find true joy, and he tells us how. And this is one scripture that brings that to bear. And the question is, will you listen? Will you hear him? Will you be willing to alter the way you saw the world before in order to see it the way God says it is? And will you then follow him. Let us serve together. Let us reflect Christ-like character and let us do so with purpose in every sphere that God has called us to live in, knowing that in every one of those, our own sinful nature, Satan and this rebellious world is seeking to present to us lesser counterfeit joys. So let us reject them and give ourselves wholly the gospel and to the joy found in God alone, without grumbling, without disputing, for we know it is our greatest good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this text. The benefit it's been to my own heart, and yet uh, my desire is not to look at my own interest, but also the interest of others. So I pray that text has been presented faithfully, and that in doing so, we can seek to live in a way that pleases you. We pray that we would pursue your joy, and in pursuing it, we would experience it today, this week, to seek to live as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.